Section 11 of The Trembling of a Leaf. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Trembling of a Leaf by W. Somerset Maugham. Section 11. Rain. Part 2. Two or three days went by. Now when they passed Miss Thompson on the road, she did not greet them with ironic cordiality or smile. She passed with her nose in the air, a sulky look on her painted face, frowning, as though she did not see them. The trader told Macphail that she had tried to get lodging elsewhere, but had failed. In the evening she played through the various reels of her gramophone, but the pretense of mirth was obvious now. The ragtime had a cracked, heartbroken rhythm as though it were one step of despair. When she began to play on Sunday, Davidson sent Horn to back her to stop at once, since it was the Lord's Day. The reel was taken off and the house was silent, except for the steady pattering of the rain on the iron roof. I think she's getting a bit worked up, said the trader next day to Macphail. She don't know what Mr. Davidson's up to and it makes her scared. Macphail had caught a glimpse of her that morning and it struck him that her arrogant expression had changed. There was in her face a hunted look. The half-caste gave him a sidelong glance. I suppose you don't know what Mr. Davidson is doing about it, he hazarded. No, I don't. It was singular that Hans should ask him that question, for he also had the idea that the missionary was mysteriously at work. He had an impression that he was weaving a net around a woman, carefully, systematically, and suddenly, when everything was ready, would pull the strings tight. He told me to tell her, said the trader, that if at any time she wanted him, she only had to send and he'd come. What did she say when you told her that? She didn't say nothing. I didn't stop. I just said what he said I was to, and then I bit it. I thought she might be going to start weeping. I have no doubt loneliness is getting on her nerves, said the doctor, in the ring. That's enough to make anyone jumpy, he continued irritably. Doesn't he ever stop in this confounded place? He goes on pretty steady in the rainy season. We have three hundred inches in the year. You see, it's the shape of the bay. It seems to attract the rain from all over the Pacific. Damn the shape of the bay, said the doctor. He scratches mosquito bites. He felt very short-tempered. When the rain stopped and the sun shone, it was like a hothouse, seething, humid, sultry, breathless, and you had a strange feeling that everything was growing with a savage violence. The natives, blithe and childlike by reputation, seemed then, with their tattooing in their dyed hair, to have something sinister in their appearance. And when they pattered along at your heels with their naked feet, you looked back instinctively. You felt it might at any moment come behind you swiftly and thrust a long knife between your shoulder blades. You could not tell what dark thoughts lurked behind their wide-set eyes. They had a little the look of ancient Egyptians painted on a temple wall, and there was about them the terror of what is immeasurably old. The missionary came and went. It was busy, but the Macphails did not know what he was doing. Horn told the doctor that he saw the governor every day, and once Davidson mentioned him. He looks as if he had plenty of determination, he said, but when you come down to brass tacks, he had no backbone. I suppose that means he won't do exactly what you want, suggested the doctor facetiously. 
The missionary did not smile. I want him to do what's right. It shouldn't be necessary to persuade a man to do that. But there may be differences of opinion about what is right. If a man had a gangrenous foot, would you have patience with anyone who hesitated to amputate it? Gangrene is a matter of fact, an evil. What Davidson had done soon appeared. The four of them had just finished the midday meal, and they had not yet separated for the siesta, which the heat imposed on the ladies and on the doctor. Davidson had little patience with the slothful habit. The door was suddenly flung open, and Miss Thompson came in. She looked round the room, and then went up to Davidson. "'You low-down skunk! What have you been saying about me to the governor?' She was spluttering with rage. There was a moment's pause. Then the missionary drew forward a chair. "'Won't you be seated, Miss Thompson? I have been hoping to have another talk with you.' "'You poor, low-life bastard!' She burst into a torrent of insult, foul and insolent. Davidson kept his grave eyes on her. "'I am indifferent to the abuse you think fits to heap on me, Miss Thompson,' he said. "'But I must beg you to remember that ladies are present.' Tears by now were struggling with her anger. Her face was red and swollen, as though she were choking. "'What has happened?' asked Dr. MacPhail. "'A fellow's just been in here, and he says I got to beat it on the next boat.' Was there a gleam in the missionary's eyes? His face remained impassive. "'You could hardly expect the governor to let you stay here under the circumstances.' "'You done it!' she shrilled. "'You can't kid me. You done it!' I don't want to deceive you, I urged the governor to take the only possible step consistent with his obligations. Why couldn't you leave me be? I wasn't doing you no harm. You may be sure that if you had, I should be the last man to resent it. Do you think I want to stay on in this poor imitation of a burg? I don't look no busher, do you I? In that case, I don't see what cause of complaints you have, he answered. She gave an inarticulate cry of rage and flung out of the room. There was a short silence. It's a relief to know that the governor has acted at last, said Davison finally. He's a weak man, and he shilly-shallied. He said she was only here for a fortnight anyway, and if she went on to Apia that was under British jurisdiction and had nothing to do with him. The missionary sprang to his feet and strode across the room. It's terrible the way the men who are in authority seek to evade their responsibility. They speak as though evil that was out of sight ceased to be evil. The very existence of that woman is a scandal, and it does not help matters to shift it to another of the islands. In the end, I had to speak straight from the shoulder. Davidson's brow lowered, and he protruded his firm chin. He looked fierce and determined. What do you mean by that? Our mission is not entirely without influence at Washington. I pointed out to the governor that it wouldn't do him any good if there was a complaint about the way he managed things here. When has she got to go? asked the doctor after a pause. The San Francisco boat is still here from Sydney next Tuesday. She is to sail on that. That was in five days' time. It was next day, when he was coming back from the hospital, where for want of something better to do, Macphail spent most of his mornings, that the half-caste stopped him as he was going upstairs. Excuse me, Dr. Macphail, Miss Thompson's sick. Will you have a look at her? Certainly. 
Hon led him to her room. She was sitting in a chair idly, neither reading nor sewing, staring in front of her. She wore her white dress and the large hat with the flowers on it. Macphail noticed that her skin was yellow and muddy under her powder, and her eyes were heavy. "'I'm sorry to hear you're not well,' he said. "'Oh, I ain't sick, really. I just said that. "'Because I just had to see you. "'I've got to clear on a boat that's going to Frisco.' "'She looked at him, and he saw that her eyes were suddenly startled. "'She opened and clenched her hands spasmodically. "'The trader stood at the door, listening. "'So I understand,' said the doctor. "'She gave a little gulp. "'I guess it ain't very convenient for me to go to Frisco just now.' I went to see the governor yesterday afternoon, but I couldn't get to him. I saw the secretary, and he told me I'd got to take the boat, and that was all there was to it. I just had to see the governor. So I waited outside his house this morning, and when he came out, I spoke to him. He didn't want to speak to me, I say, but I wouldn't let him shake me off, and at last he said he had no objection to my staying here till the next boat to Sydney if the Reverend Davison would stand for it. She stopped and looked at Dr. Macphail anxiously. I don't know exactly what I can do, he said. Well, I thought maybe you wouldn't mind asking him. I swear to God I won't start anything here if you just only let me stay. I won't go out of the house if they'll suit him. It's no more than a fortnight. I ask him. He won't stand for it, said Hon. He'll have you out on Tuesday, so you may as well make up your mind to it. Tell him I can get work in Sydney. It's trick stuff I'm in. It ain't asking very much. I'll do what I can. And come and tell me right away, will you? I can't sit down to a thing till I get the dope one way or the other. It was not an errand that much pleased the doctor, and characteristically, perhaps, he went about it indirectly. He told his wife that Miss Thompson had said to him, and asked her to speak to Mrs. Davison. The missionary's attitude seemed rather arbitrary and could do no harm if a girl were allowed to stay in Pago Pago another fortnight. But he was not prepared for the result of his diplomacy. The missionary came to him straightway. Mrs. Davison tells me that Thompson has been speaking to you. Dr. Macphail, thus directly tackled, had the shy man's resentment as being forced out into the open. He felt his temper rising, and he flushed. I don't see that it can make any difference if she goes to Sydney rather than San Francisco. And so long as she promises to behave while she's here, it's dashed hard to persecute her. The missionary fixed her with his stern eyes. Why is she unwilling to go back to San Francisco? I didn't inquire, answered the doctor with some asperity. And I think one does better to mind one's own business. Perhaps it was not a very tactful answer. The governor has ordered her to be deported by the first boat that leaves the island. It's only done his duty, and he will not interfere. Her presence is plural here. I think you are very harsh and tyrannical. The two ladies looked up at the doctor with some alarm, but they need not have feared a quarrel, for the missionary smiled gently. I'm terribly sorry you should think that of me, Dr. Macphail. Believe me, my heart bleeds for the unfortunate woman, but I'm only trying to do my duty. The doctor made no answer. He looked out of the window sullenly. For once, it was not raining, and across the bay, you saw nestling among the trees the huts of a native village. I think I'll take advantage of the rain stopping to go out, he said. 
Please don't bear me malice, because I can't accede to your wish, said Davidson, with a melancholy smile. I respect you very much, doctor, and I should be sorry if you thought ill of me. I have no doubt you have a sufficiently good opinion of yourself to bear mine with equanimity, he retorted. That's one on me, chuckled Davidson. When Dr. Macphail, vexed with himself because he had been uncivil to no purpose, went downstairs, Miss Thompson was waiting for him with her door ajar. Well, she said, have you spoken to him? Yes, I'm sorry, he won't do anything, he answered, not looking at her in his embarrassment. But then he gave her a quick glance, for a sob broke from her. He saw that her face was white with fear. It gave him a shock of dismay, and suddenly he had an idea. But don't give up hope yet. I think it's a shame the way they are treating you, and I'm going to see the governor myself. Now? He nodded. Her face brightened. Say, that's real good of you. I'm sure he'll let me stay if you speak for me. I just won't do a thing I didn't ought all the time I'm here. Dr. Macphail hardly knew why he had made up his mind to appeal to the governor. He was perfectly indifferent to Miss Thompson's affairs, but the missionary had irritated him. And with him, temper was a smouldering thing. He found the governor at home. He was a large, handsome man, a sailor, with a grey toothbrush moustache, and he wore a spotless uniform of white drill. I've come to see you about a woman who's lodging in the same house as we are, he said. Her name's Thompson. I guess I've heard nearly enough about her, Dr. Macphail said the governor, smiling. I've given her the order to get home next Tuesday, and that's all I can do. I wanted to ask you if you couldn't stretch a pond and let her stay here till the boat comes in from San Francisco so that she can go to Sydney. I will guarantee her good behaviour. The governor continued to smile, but his eyes grew small and serious. I'd be very glad to oblige you, Dr. Macphail, but I have given the order, and it must stand. The doctor put the case as reasonably as he could, but now the governor ceased to smile at all. He listened sullenly, with averted gaze. Macphail saw that he was making no impression. I'm sorry to cause any lady inconvenience, but she'll have to sail on Tuesday, and that's all there is to it. But what difference can it make? Pardon me, doctor, but I don't feel called upon to explain my official actions except to the proper authorities. Macphail looked at him shrewdly. He remembered Davison's hints that he had used threats, and in the governor's attitude he read a singular embarrassment. Davison's a damned busybody, he said hotly. Between ourselves, Dr. Macphail, I don't say that I have formed a very favourable opinion of Mr. Davison, but I am bound to confess that he was within his rights in pointing out to me the danger that the presence of a woman of Miss Thompson's character was to a place like this, where a number of enlisted men are stationed among a native population. He got up, and Dr. Macphail was obliged to do so, too. I must ask you to excuse me. I have an engagement. Please give my respects to Mrs. Macphail. The doctor left him crestfallen. He knew that Miss Thompson would be waiting for him, and unwilling to tell her himself that he had failed, he went into the house by the back door and sneaked up the stairs as though he had something to hide. At supper he was silent and ill at ease, but the missionary was jovial and animated. Dr. Macphail thought his eyes rested on him now, and then with triumphant good humour. 
It struck him suddenly that Davidson knew of his visit to the governor and of his ill success. But how on earth could he have heard of it? There was something sinister about the power of that man. After supper, he saw Horn on the veranda and as though to have a casual word with him went out. She wants to know if you've seen the governor, the trader whispered. Yes, he wouldn't do anything. I'm awfully sorry. I can't do anything more. I knew he wouldn't. They daren't go against the missionaries. What are you talking about? said Davidson affably, coming out to join them. I was just saying there was no chance of you getting over to Apia for at least another week, said the trader glibly. He left them, and the two men returned into the parlour. Mr. Davidson devoted one hour after each meal to recreation. Presently, a timid knock was heard at the door. Come in, said Mrs. Davidson in a sharp voice. The door was not opened. She got up and opened it. They saw Miss Thompson standing at the threshold, but the change in her appearance was extraordinary. This was no longer the flaunting hussy who had jeered at them in the road, but the brickened, frightened woman. Her hair, as a rule so elaborately arranged, was tumbling untidily over her neck. She wore bedroom slippers and a skirt and blouse, they were unfresh and bad record. She stood at the door with the tears streaming down her face and did not dare to enter. What do you want? said Mrs. Davison harshly. May I speak to Mr. Davison? she said in a choking voice. The missionary rose and went towards her. Come right in, Miss Thompson, he said in cordial tones. What can I do for you? She enters the room. Say, I'm sorry for what I said to you the other day and for for everything else i guess i was a bit lit up i beg pardon oh it was nothing i guess my back's broad enough to bear a few hard words she stepped towards him with a movement that was horribly cringing you've got me beat i'm all in you will make me go back to frisco his genuine manner vanished and his voice grew on a sudden hard and stern why don't you want to go back there she cowered before him I guess my people live there. I don't want them to see me like this. I go anywhere else you say. Why don't you want to go back to San Francisco? I've told you. He leans forward, staring at her, and his great shining eyes seemed to try to bore into her soul. He gave a sudden gasp. The penitentiary. She screamed, and then she fell at his feet, clasping his legs. Don't send me back there. I swear to you, before God, I'll be a good woman. I give all this up. She burst into a torrent of confused supplication, and the tears coursed down her painted cheeks. He leaned over her, and lifting her face, forced her to look at him. Is that in the penitentiary? I beat it before they could get me, she gasped. If the bulls grab me, it's three years for mine. He let go his hold of her, and she fell in a heap on the floor, sobbing bitterly. Dr. Macphail stood up. This alters the whole thing, he said. You can't make her go back when you know this. Give her another chance. She wants to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to give her the finest chance she's ever had. If she repents, let her accept her punishment. She misunderstood the words and looked up. There was a gleam of hope in her heavy eyes. You let me go? No. 
you shall sail for San Francisco on Tuesday. She gave a groan of horror, and then burst into low, hoarse shrieks, which sounded hardly human, and she beat her head passionately on the ground. Dr. Macphail sprang to her and lifted her up. Come on, you mustn't do that. You'd better go to your room and lie down. I'll get you something. He raised her to her feet, and partly dragging her, partly carrying her, got her downstairs. He was furious with Mrs. Davison and with his wife, because they made no effort to help. The half-cast was standing on the landing, and with his assistance he managed to get her on the bed. She was moaning and crying. She was almost insensible. He gave her a hypodermic injection. He was hot and exhausted when he went upstairs again. I've got her to lie down. The two women and Davison were in the same positions as when he had left them. They could not have moved or spoken since he went. I was waiting for you, said Davison, in a strange distant voice. I want you all to pray with me for the soul of our erring sister. He took the Bible off a shelf and sat down at the table at which they had supped. It had not been cleared, and he pushed the teapot out of the way. In a powerful voice, resonant and deep, he read to them the chapter in which is narrated the meeting of Jesus Christ with a woman taken in adultery. Now kneel with me, and let us pray for the soul of our dear sister, Sadie Thompson. He burst into a long, passionate prayer in which he implored God to have mercy on the sinful woman. Mrs. Macphail and Mrs. Davison knelt with covered eyes. The doctor, taken by surprise, awkward and sheepish, knelt too. The missionary's prayer had a savage eloquence. He was extraordinarily moved, and as he spoke, the tears ran down his cheeks. Outside, the pitiless ring fell, fell steadily, with a fierce malignity that was all too human. At last he stopped. He paused for a moment and said, we will now repeat the Lord's Prayer. They said it and then, following him, they rose from their knees. Mrs. Davison's face was pale and restful. She was comforted and at peace, but the Macphails felt suddenly bashful. They did not know which way to look. I'll just go down and see how she is now, said Dr. Macphail. When he knocked at her door, it was opened for him by horn. Miss Thompson was in a rocking chair, sobbing quietly. What are you doing there? exclaimed Macphail. I told you to lie down. I can't lie down. I want to see Mr. Davison. My poor child, what do you think is the good of it? You never move him. He said he'd come if I sent for him. Macphail motioned to the trader. Go and fetch him. He waited with her in silence while the trader went upstairs. Davison came in. Excuse me for asking you to come here, she said, looking at him soberly. I was expecting you to send for me. I knew the Lord would answer my prayer. They stared at one another for a moment, and then she looked away. She kept her eyes averted when she spoke. I've been a bad woman. I want to repent. Thank God, thank God. He has heard our prayers. He turned to the two men. Leave me alone with her. Tell Mrs. Davison that our prayers have been answered. They went out and closed the door behind them. Gee whiz, said the trader. That night Dr. Macphail could not get to sleep till late, and when he heard the missionary come upstairs, he looked at his watch. It was two o'clock. 
but even then he did not go to bed at once for through the wooden partition that separated their rooms he heard him praying aloud till he himself exhausted fell asleep when he saw him next morning he was surprised at his appearance he was paler than ever tired but his eyes shone with an inhuman fire it looked as though he were filled with an overwhelming joy i want you to go down presently and see sadie he said i can't hope that her body is better but her soul her soul is transformed the doctor was feeling wing and nervous you were with her very late last night he said yes she couldn't bear to have me leave her you look as pleased as punch the doctor said irritably davidson's eyes shone with ecstasy a great mercy has been vouchsafed me last night i was privileged to bring a lost soul to the loving arms of jesus miss thompson was again in the rocking chair the bed had not been made the room was in disorder she had not troubled to dress herself but wore a dirty dressing-gown and her hair was tied in a sluttish knot she had given her face a dab with a wet towel but it was all swollen and creased with crying she looked a drab she raised her eyes dully when the doctor came in she was cowed and broken where's mr davidson she asked he'll come presently if you want him answered macphail acidly i came here to see how you were oh i guess i'm okay you needn't worry about that have you had anything to eat hon brought me some coffee she looked anxiously at the door do you think he'll come down soon i feel as if it wasn't so terrible when he's with me are you still going on tuesday yes he says i've got to go please tell him to come right along you can't do me any good he's the only one as can help me now very well said dr macphail during the next three days the missionary spent almost all his time with sadie thompson he joined the others only to have his meals dr macphail noticed that he hardly ate he's wearing himself out said mrs davidson pitifully he'll have a breakdown if he doesn't take care but he won't spare himself she herself was white and pale she told mrs macphail that she had no sleep when the missionary came upstairs from miss thompson he prayed till he was exhausted but even then he did not sleep for long after an hour or two he got up and dressed himself and went for a tram along the bay he had strange dreams this morning he told me that he had been dreaming about the mountains of nebraska said mrs davidson that's curious said dr macphail he remembered seeing them from the windows of the train when he crossed america they were like huge mole hills rounded and smooth and they rose from the plain abruptly dr macphail remembered how it struck him that they were like a woman's breasts davidson's restlessness was intolerable even to himself but he was boiled up by a wonderful exhilaration he was tearing out by the roots the last vestiges of sin that lurked in the hidden corners of the poor woman's heart he read with her and prayed with her it's wonderful he said to them one day at supper it's a true rebirth her soul which was black as night is now pure and white like the new-fallen snow i am humble and afraid her remorse for all her sins is beautiful i am not worthy to touch the hem of her garment have you the heart to send her back to san francisco said the doctor three years in an american prison 
I should have thought you might have saved her from that. Ah, but don't you see? It's necessary. Do you think my heart doesn't bleed for her? I love her as I love my wife and my sister. All the time that she's in prison, I shall suffer all the pain that she suffers. Bunkum, cried the doctor impatiently. You don't understand because you're blind. She's sinned and she must suffer. I know what she'll endure. She'll be starved and tortured and humiliated. I want her to accept the punishment of man as a sacrifice to God. I want her to accept it joyfully. She has an opportunity which is offered to very few of us. God is very good and very merciful. Davidson's voice trembled with excitement. He could hardly articulate the words that tumbled passionately from his lips. All day I pray with her, and when I leave her, I pray again. I pray with all my might and main, so that Jesus may grant her this great mercy. I want to put in her heart the passionate desire to be punished, so that at the end, even if I offered to let her go, she would refuse. I want her to feel that the bitter punishment of prison is the thank-offering that she places at the feet of our blessed Lord, who gave his life for her. The days passed slowly. The whole household, intent on the wretched, tortured woman downstairs, lived in a state of unnatural excitement. She was like a victim that was being prepared for the savage rites of a bloody idolatry. Her terror numbed her. She could not bear to let Davison out of her sight. It was only when he was with her that she had courage, and she hung upon him with a slavish dependence. She cried a great deal, and she read the Bible, and prayed. Sometimes she was exhausted and apathetic. Then she did indeed look forward to her ordeal, for it seemed to offer an escape, direct and concrete, from the anguish she was enduring. She could not bear much longer the vague terrors which now assailed her. With her sins, she had put aside all personal vanity, and she slipped about her room, unkempt and disabled, in a tawdry dressing-gown, she had not taken off her nightdress for four days, nor put on stockings. Her room was littered and untidy. Meanwhile, the rain fell with a cruel persistence. You felt that the heavens must at last be empty of water. But still it poured down, strict and heavy, with a maddening iteration on the iron roof. Everything was damp and clammy. There was mid-dew on the walls and the boots that stood on the floor. Through the sleepless nights, the mosquitoes droned their angry chants. If it would only stop raining for a single day, it wouldn't be so bad, said Dr. Macphail. They all looked forward to the Tuesday when the boat for San Francisco was to arrive from Sydney. The strain was intolerable. So far as Dr. Macphail was concerned, his pity and his resentment were alike extinguished by his desire to be rid of the unfortunate woman. The inevitable must be accepted. He felt he would breathe more freely when the ship had sailed. Sadie Thompson was to be escorted on board by a clerk in the governor's office. This person called on the Monday evening and told Miss Thompson to be prepared at eleven in the morning. Davison was with her. I'll see that everything is ready. I mean to come on board with her myself. Miss Thompson did not speak. When Dr. Macphail blew out his candle and crawled cautiously under his mosquito curtains, he gave a sigh of relief. Well, thank God that's over. By this time tomorrow she'll be gone. Mrs. Davidson will be glad too. She says he's wearing himself to a shadow, said Mrs. Macphail. 
She's a different woman. Who? Sadie. I should never have thought it possible. It makes one humble. Dr. Macphail did not answer, and presently he fell asleep. He was tired out, and he slept more soundly than usual. He was awakened in the morning by a hand placed on his arm, and starting up, saw Horn by the side of his bed. The trainer put his finger on his mouth to prevent any exclamation from Dr. Macphail, and beckoned to him to come. As a rule, he wore shabby ducks, but now he was barefoot and wore only the lava lava of the natives. He looked suddenly savage, and Dr. Macphail, getting out of bed, saw that he was heavily tattooed. Horn made him a sigh to come on to the veranda. Dr. Macphail got out of bed and followed the trader out. Don't make a noise, he whispered. You're wanted. Put in a coat and some shoes, quick. Dr. Macphail's first thought was that something had happened to Miss Thompson. What is it? Shall I bring my instruments? Hurry, please, hurry. Dr. Macphail crept back into the bedroom, put on a waterproof over his pyjamas and a pair of rubber-soled shoes. He rejoined the trader, and together they tiptoed down the stairs. The door leading out to the road was open, and at it were standing half a dozen natives. What is it? repeated the doctor. Come along with me, said Horn. He walked out and the doctor followed him. The natives came after them in a little bunch. They crossed the road and came on to the beach. The doctor saw a group of natives standing round some subject at the water's edge. They hurried along, a couple of dozen yards perhaps, and the natives opened out as the doctor came up. The trader pushed him forwards. Then he saw, lying half in the water and half out, a dreadful object, the body of Davison. Dr. Macphail bent down. He was not a man to lose his head in an emergency, and turned the body over. The throat was cut from ear to ear, and in the right hand was still the razor with which the deed was done. He's quite cold, said the doctor. He must have been dead some time. One of the boys saw him lying there on his way to work just now, and came and told me. Do you think he did it himself? Yes. Someone ought to go for the police. Horn said something in the native tongue, and two youths started off. We must leave him here till they come, said the doctor. They mustn't take him into my house. I won't have him in my house. You do what the authorities say, replied the doctor sharply. In point of fact, I expect they'll take him to the mortuary. They stood waiting where they were. The trader took a cigarette from a fold in his lava lava and gave one to Dr. Macphail. They smoked while they stared at a corpse. Dr. Macphail could not understand. Why do you think he did it? asked Horn. The doctor shrugged his shoulders. In a little while, native police came along, under the charge of Marine, with a stretcher, and immediately afterwards, a couple of naval officers and a naval doctor. They managed everything in a businesslike manner. What about the wife? said one of the officers. Now that you've come, I'll go back to the house and get some things on. I'll see that it's broken to her. She'd better not to see him till he's been fixed up a little. I guess that's right, said the naval doctor. When Dr. Macphail went back, he found his wife nearly dressed. Mrs. Davison's in a dreadful state about her husband, she said to him as soon as he appeared. He hasn't been to bed all night. She heard him leave Miss Thompson's room at two, but he went out. If he's been walking about since then, he'll be absolutely dead. 
Dr. Macphail told her what had happened and asked her to break the news to Mrs. Davidson. But why did he do it? She asked, horror-stricken. I don't know. But I can't, I can't. You must. She gave him a frightened look and went out. He heard her go into Mrs. Davidson's room. He waited a minute to gather himself together and then began to shave and wash. When he was dressed, he sat down on the bed and waited for his wife. At last she came. She wants to see him, she said. They've taken him to the mortuary. We'd better go down with her. How did she take it? I think she's stunned. She didn't cry, but she's trembling like a leaf. We'd better go at once. When they knocked at her door, Mrs. Davidson came out. She was very pale but dry-eyed. To the doctor she seemed unnaturally composed. No word was exchanged, and they set out in silence down the road. When they arrived at the mortuary, Mrs. Davidson spoke. Let me go in and see him alone. They stood aside. A native opened the door for her and closed it behind her. They sat down and waited. One or two white men came and talked to them in undertones. Dr. Macphail told them again what he knew of the tragedy. At last the door was quietly opened, and Mrs. Davidson came out. Silence fell upon them. I'm ready to go back now, she said. Her voice was hard and steady. Dr. Macphail could not understand the look in her eyes. Her pale face was very stern. They walked back slowly, never saying a word, and at last they came round a bend on the other side of which stood their house. Mrs. Davidson gave a gasp, and for a moment they stopped still. An incredible sound assaulted their ears. The gramophone which had been silent for so long was playing, playing ragtime loud and harsh. What's that? cried Mrs. Macphail with horror. Let's go on, said Mrs. Davidson. They walked up the steps and entered the hall. Miss Thompson was standing at her door, chatting with a sailor. A sudden change had taken place in her. She was no longer the cowed dredge of the last days. She was dressed in all her finery, in her white dress with a high, shiny boot sofa which her fat legs bulged in the cotton stockings. Her hair was elaborately arranged, and she wore that enormous hat covered with gaudy flowers. Her face was painted, her eyebrows were boldly black, and her lips were scarlet. She held herself erect. She was the flaunting queen that they had known at first. As they came in, she broke into a loud, jeering laugh. And then, when Mrs. Davidson involuntarily stopped, she collected the spittle in her mouth and spat. Mrs. Davidson cowered back, and two red spots rose suddenly to her cheeks. Then, covering her face with her hands, she broke away and ran quickly up the stairs. Dr. Macphail was outraged. He pushed past the woman into her room. What the devil are you doing? he cried. Stop the damned machine. He went up to it and tore the record off. She turned on him. Say, dog, you can that stop with me. What the hell are you doing in my room? What do you mean? he cried. What do you mean? She gathered herself together. No one could describe the scorn of her expression or the contemptuous hatred she put into her answer. You men, you filthy dirty pigs, you are all the same, all of you. Pigs, pigs. Dr. Macphail gasped. He understood. End of section 11